I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. With interviews, discussions, stories, and advice from a range of brewers and craft beer professionals, the Hot Forward Podcast is here to help you and your beer business hot rocket your way to success. Visit our website at hotforward.beer to find out more. Grab yourself a beer as we crack open another fresh episode of the Hot Forward Podcast. Hello and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Forward Podcast. If you're a regular listener to the Hot Forward Podcast, you may have heard the following story on occasion before. Several years ago, pre-pandemic, I attended a bottle share with a host of other beer nerds. Having been to these bottle shares on many occasions before, I was well acquainted with the format of the evening. Bring two or three bottles of any one particular beer. Everyone takes and tastes a small pour and shares their opinions on it before rating it out of 10. In the early days, back in 2015, people would bring beers such as Wild Beer Co's Bibble or Thornbridge's Sarah. Nothing out of the ordinary by today's standards, but back then, these ales and lagers had masses of flavour and were different to many of the beers that are out there. As people's palates developed, so did the bottles they brought to share. The bottle share always started with the lowest ABV gradually increasing in alcohol content so that the heaviest beers would take centre stage towards the end of the evening. There's something quite telling that by the time that this particular bottle share occurred, sometime around 2018, 2019, the proceedings kicked off around the 7% region. On this particular occasion, I decided to book the trend and bring some German lagers just to be different and just to make a point to everyone that other beer styles actually existed. Naturally, my beers scored quite low, as you can imagine. I couldn't understand the appeal of these wild ales that everyone had started bringing. If the taste of goat was appealing to me, I'd go to a farmyard and lick one. If it's funk I wanted... I'd put on some James Brown. I'd firmly decided that Lambics were not my sort of thing, thank you very much. I mean, kettle sours only added to my utter hatred of all things sherbet, lemons and tart. Surely beer should taste of, you know, beer, not vinegar or horse. All that was about to change during lockdown when I was invited to a virtual tasting with my good pals over at Brewery Market. Hosted by Paul Davies, a well-respected beer sommelier who regularly, lockdowns aside, takes groups across to Flanders and the surrounding regions to visit breweries and taste the beers, I had my first encounter with Brauerie Boon. Hope I said that right. I mean, I was converted. I saw the light. Hallelujah. I'm not sure why it took all this time. That was a terrible impression, wasn't it? Of who? (laughs) Who the hell was that impression of? Oh, dear. I'm not sure why it took me all this time to appreciate barrel-blended wild beers. Uh, Perhaps it's because I never really educated myself with the process, what makes them unique and why they taste as they do. These venerated beer styles needed to be celebrated, not scorned, and I had some serious catching up to do. Since then, wild ales, farmhouse beers and a whole manner of sours have truly been welcomed into the fold. I'll confess I'm still not a huge fan of kettle sours or anything silly like blueberry muffin, lemonade, marshmallow, dessert sours. Some of you are thinking that sounds really awesome right now. 
But anything that I would consider, quote, a true sour, definitely gets added to the shopping cart at every opportunity. And I've discovered some amazing breweries and blenderies since my epiphany. Holy Goat Brewing in Dundee, Wildflower Brewing and Blending from Australia, oh, Abedale's Funk Dungeon and Suffolk's Little Earth Project have delighted me with their tart acidic funks. But it was a recent introduction to Wilderness Brewery that has really solidified my love affair with all things barrel-aged. My good friends Jay from Walkley Beer Co, a great little bottle shop close to where I live, and Sam from Grizzly Grains Brewing in Sheffield both recommended that I reach out to the Welsh Farmhouse Brewery and get them on the podcast. Having struck up a conversation with Helen and James from the brewery to organise a podcast recording over the internet, it transpired that James himself had travelled over 130 miles from Mid Wales all the way to Walkley Beer Co a few days earlier for a beer tasting, which is really ironic given I could have literally taken my recording gear around the corner to meet him. Still, internet aside, and I wholeheartedly mean what I'm about to say, not just because they sent me some really, really, really nice beer. I thoroughly enjoyed every second chatting with James and Helen about everything from barrel aging and blending through to what makes good workplace, how we should strive for sustainability in the brew house and some of the challenges of running a brewery that mostly focuses on the funkier end of the spectrum. They were utterly delightful people to talk with and I absolutely recommend that you go and check out their beers and buy some because they're just lovely. It's quite a lengthy episode this week and we did have a few technical issues recording it which is really quite frustrating given that James was a mere stone's throw from my decent mics and professional audio recording equipment. But nonetheless I'm sure you'll utterly enjoy the content this week and get a lot out of it. So hang in there, we'll be right back with our discussion on farmhouse beers and blending with James and Helen from Wilderness Brewery in just a moment. Don't go away. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding, creative media, and business consultancy for breweries, bars, bottle shops, and supply chain businesses. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. This week on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by James and Helen from Wilderness Brewery. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you guys How doing? How are you doing? Nods all around. We're all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good for an audio, audio yeah. thing. Yeah. Just us yeah. nodding. Yeah. Yeah. You think after like the pandemic, everyone would have got used to being on a video call, but it's it's funny how quickly we we revert back to the old ways. Especially when I feel like I spent the entire pandemic on a Zoom course. So, yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, goodness. It's, um, it was tough, wasn't it? It was mad. Wasn't it? It was really yeah. mad. Yeah. So, um, before we crack open some beers and put the worlds to rights, can you tell our listeners who, who you are and a little bit about Wilderness Brewery? That's you, James. 
<laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so, well, I guess we are a very tiny brewery in uh, mid-Wales, making sort of farmhouse mixed fermentation-y beers um, that we like making. Um, it's a team of two, so it's me who sort of does the majority of the production side stuff, and Helen, who's been with us for just over a year, who does content sales, marketing, grand visions, that sort of thing. Is that about right? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Awesome. And you're based in mid-Wales, did you say? Yeah, that's right. So sort of um, just on the edge of a small town in the middle of Powys. So middle of nowhere, lots of hills, lots of sheep. Right. But uh, yeah. Well, that that that's uh, I'll ask about that in a bit. That's that sounds really interesting to set up a brewery literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, well, b- before we start talking about brewery, um, you sent me some beers, so th- thank you very much. And I have, to, I have to, I know I said this over Twitter to you, but the, the labels are absolutely gorgeous. So, um, do you want to just talk a bit about? Um, well, for, actually, two things. Can you recommend out of one of these three beers which one to start with, and then while I crack it open, maybe you could talk a bit about the artwork. Uh, the bitter, I think, is always the best one to start yeah. with. I, don't yeah. know I think Helen just thinks that's the best one in general. I love, I, I, I love bitter. So when I saw it, because I'd, I'd heard about you guys being like mixed firm and all that stuff. So when I opened the, the package, this was the first one I pulled out. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, maybe a good choice. Well, should I crack this open? And then um, while I do, you, you tell me about um, why you start the brewery and, and why focus on farmhouse styles of beer in mid wales of all places yeah yeah yeah. so um we got started in about so beginning of 2018 um i'd moved to like sort of the england wales border that's where Mm. my wife grew up so we'd sort of moved back there yep for that reason um and i was looking for something to do with my time the only thing i really know how to do is make beer i haven't really got any skills so um starting a brewery seemed like the, the the way to go um and yeah just trying to lean into the fact that uh so previous to that i'd been working in east london um brewery there and just trying to the difference being like in mid wales rents relatively yep. cheap compared to things so what can i do with that that would makes sense uh so yeah the obvious thing was like well what couldn't we do uh, so i was at howling hops before that right um in east london um which was great big tap room that sort of thing that obviously wasn't going to work where population density is pretty minimal um but rents are a bit cheaper so it was like well i can get a load of barrels i can do the sort of beer i always fancied making but never was really commercially viable just sort of brew a load of stuff, stick it in barrels, wait, see what happens. And then, like, so my background is uh, microbiology, biochemistry. So sort of playing with yeasts and stuff is is my happy place. So, um, yeah. Like, Can I just interrupt and say that it is wild that you, <laughs> that you don't have any skills when you've got a doctorate. So, and you, <laughs> like, wild. <laughs> 
Sorry. Like, uh, totally unskilled. You should retrain in cyber. Oh, oh yeah. sorry. I, try, I, try, I always try not to go political on my podcast, but it never works. <laughs> that, well, that's, that's awesome. And, and, um, and, sorry, do continue. No, that's it. No, so um, started, a, started a brewery um, and it's been great. Awesome. So when did you get involved, Helen? Um, it's the end of last, uh, well, no, the start of uh, December 2020. Oh, my goodness. One? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Time is crazy. Uh, yeah, so uh, I had just come back from working um, with Little Pomona. I'd just done, like, Harvest with them. Right. Um, and I just kind of... Well, before that, I'd been in hospitality and it was like, it, you know, it's really difficult trying to like move out of hospitality. Um, and and it was kind of one of those things where like I would get like, I don't know, I'd have interviews and stuff. and People would just be like, you just don't have enough experience. And I was like, it just seems crazy to me because I feel like I can do these jobs. But mm. yeah, it was one of those things where people were always like, well, they just kind of weren't really. But James got in contact and said, because um, I think I'd posted something sad on Twitter about the fact that I was looking for work. And uh, it was like, oh, I got basically, uh, well, at the time, it would be like a day a week. And I was like, well, I knew that I loved, I'm uh, based in uh, Newport in South Wales. Um, and I already knew that I really loved uh, like wilderness's beers because um, I got into craft beer through, I guess, drinking sour beer and wild fermentation, like wild fermented beer and uh, sort of barrel aged things. So I was like, I was already into the brewery. And also I really wanted to work with, um, I guess like, yeah, what, like a Welsh based company. Like that was really important to me. Um, and uh, it's a sort of, it's tricky because in Wales there are like a lot of really great breweries, but like, I guess finding somewhere where I could work for them remotely it, mm. there weren't as many like opportunities um so yeah I was really pleased when James got in contact and we kind of had a chat and he just said oh, I've got loads of stuff that I don't want to do and I was like okay so he gave me the list and I was like yeah I think I'd like to do that so <laughs> amazing so do you do you do you ever travel up to the brewery oh, yeah 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 I was there last uh Friday yeah um right. he just uh had um the guys at balance uh over from manchester uh which was really nice so um we were doing a little collab with them but uh yeah um so yeah i'll come across uh and do james's least favorite thing which is just take like thousands of pictures of him and uh, yeah <laughs> I <didn't> like it <laughs> awesome well uh, it'd be it'd be rude not to talk about this beer or ordinary bitter um ice it's really nice it's to say it's what 3.9 percent it's very um this is a really crappier word i'm sorry it's really chewy <laughs> <laughs> so it was my bad chew back impression <laughs> um, <laughs> in case you could tell what that was but it's, it's it's got it's it's really it's got a lot of body is the technical term i'm actually trying to get so it's got a lot of body to say um it's 3.9 percent a really really nice um like a honey almost like a honey flavor to it as well i mean you could talk a little bit about this beer yeah, so this is so I've been making a variation of this beer since we started. Really, I was trying to have something really accessible because we're the only brewery in our town, um, and 
we get lots of people just dropping by and seeing that there's a brewery there and dropping in and just want to see what we're doing. And while most of what we do is sort of yeah, mixed firm, barrel aged, lots of big 750ml bottles of something a little sour or a little interesting, which is not quite what people are expecting. Mm. So I always wanted to have something super accessible on offer, be that like a, a low ABV pale ale or a, a bitter like this. And I just sort of started experimenting with um, po-fermenting. So this is a bitter made with traditional English ale yeast, but then also just a little Belgian yeast in there as well. Right. Um, and over the sort of iterations, it sort of varied between having a sort of slightly more continental bent with ingredients and hops and things um which keeps it interesting for me but at its heart it's hopefully just a really easy drinking malty bitter did you did you say there's a, a bit of a belgian yeast in there yeah, yeah now you mention right. it you can pick it up on the nose ever so slightly and and in some of the aftertaste there was a flavor i was like i can't put my finger on what flavor it's a pleasant flavor obviously i was like there's a flavor in there that i can't put my finger on and now that you mention it it's yeah i can totally see that what, what an inspired idea i might nick it <laughs> my beer <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean like it's really it's a really nice thing to make and hopefully like hopefully it's interesting enough for people that are really into things but hopefully it's it's yeah, I keep saying the word accessible, but like hopefully it's just it's normal enough for everyone. Mm. But it's quite interesting stuff if you go looking for it. That's the yeah, that's the rough idea. Yeah. So be, before we start talking more about the business in the brewery, um, just one other thing I want to flag up as well was um, I believe you guys were in Sheffield where I live recently for Sheffield Beer Week. Was it was it both of you? Yeah, that's right. This way. No, just just was it just you, James? Yeah. yeah so just um, I I live literally like round the corner from Walkley Beer Co. Where you went? Oh, really? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was uh, I was talking to Sam from Grizzly Grains, um, who sells his beer into there. Yeah, who who'd went to that event? I was a bit gutted to find out that it had um, sold out, which was really ironic because obviously we're talking miles and miles away over the internet now, when literally we, you were just round the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's really funny yeah. yeah it was really kind of them like they just um we it was really funny helen and i had talked a little bit more about um trying to do sort of fringe events around like beer festivals mm. as being like our little plan for this year um just that when it's just the two of us and or it's just me or something and i've got a young kid and it's travels a lot and yeah, we yeah. were thinking of maybe trying to not do so many festivals this year but we thought, well, maybe we can do some like lower cost, lower time sort of consuming events around. And then like literally the next day, the guys from Walkley Beer Co. and said, emailed and said, oh, it's Sheffield Beer Week. Do you want to come and do a little beer and cheese evening? Oh, amazing. <laughs> so It was really nice. By the time I posted about it on Instagram, they were like, oh, we've got like one ticket left. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it sold out really quickly. Um, I was good not to be able to make it, but cool. Well, I'm I'm curious as a as a mixed firm forward slash barrel aging brewery, it might appear that you're appealing to you know quite a niche within the craft beer market, which I suppose is a niche of the bigger, wider beer drinking market. I mean, w- would you say that's the case? Did you find you get a lot of traction from the non beer geeks with your barrel aged mixed firm stuff as well? 
it's a bit of a mixed bag. Like I'd say we're on the more accessible end of the mixed firm breweries, if that right. makes sense. That's always been my approach to it. Um, always the sort of things like the sourness and the funk are there and present, but they're they're part of the flavour rather than just being like, oh, it's really sour. Oh, it's really like it's over the top. So if it was like a scale, it'd be kind of like more towards like Barnyard and Goat rather than full on James Brown. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously the beer, the beer's really very intense, that sort of thing. But um, like we have certainly locally, we have a lot of people who are either predominantly sort of, they come from a cider drinking background or they just like wine or that sort of thing. So lots of them are quite, open much more open-minded than i ever expected like moving Mm. to the middle of nowhere so that's really nice so we we get more local custom than i'd ever have thought um but then yeah really the majority of what we make goes to um you know specialist beer bars or small bottle shops and stuff across the country how how big are you sort of brewery size so we, we five barrel plant um, but we only brew probably about once a fortnight or so. Right. Um, because packaging and admin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> all, all life. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, that sort of does us. We're, we're hoping to, if we can keep about that volume, that would be, that would be great. Mm. Um, and all we need to do is probably sell just a little bit more quickly. Yeah. And then we'd be able to keep up that cadence and be pretty stable, I reckon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting as well, because even if we're not necessarily reaching, because like if we were to look at the wider sort of um, craft beer audience and what maybe what they want to drink, like we have some of those things. And, and I really like that some of our cans have like those qualities to them, like for example, doing dry hop saisons and stuff. I think that there's something within those that pulls in people that like hoppier beers and you still get those fruity qualities, but like from different stuff. And I think that that's really cool. But I think that in terms of the mixed firm stuff, I think we're actually probably hitting more cider and wine sort of drinkers than, mm. than at, like, I guess people that are sort of see themselves as like, yeah, big craft beer drinkers. Um, I think we kind of hit that, like the people that are sort of, yeah, I guess uh, maybe interested in a mix of different disciplines and things and uh, like to have, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess just have stuff that's a bit more experimental. Um, but I also think that our range is quite broad, even though we don't have like, yeah, an, an IPA or anything like that. I think that the actual range that we have is really, really broad in terms of like flavor and um, and actually it's really nice because I, I don't know, there are so many beer styles that, and I, it's really nice to be able to connect with people who don't, and I, I think I'm saying this from a personal perspective as well, because I didn't drink beer until I was in my, uh, mid, like till I was about 25. I thought it was awful and I'm not that old now. So <laughs> like, um, I only drank gin and tonic, so it's, um, it's, uh, it's quite nice. I think for people maybe who aren't like I don't who don't really who think they don't like beer because they don't like like hobby beers mm. something else yeah and aren't maybe also first on having like 
And I love having the enamel on my teeth removed, but I think that um, sometimes it's nice to not have a really, really sour beer too. So <laughs> it's easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of IPA on the market, isn't there? Well, in, I would argue there's too much IPA on the market. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's nice to come across beers like, you know, the, the, the ones that you sent through you know, every, every can of bottle, I was like, ooh, 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 you know, um, where sometimes I get sent beer, and I'm, you know, and it, I, I really appreciate because of the podcast, not that like I get showered in beer every day, but like when I get sent beers and stuff, sometimes it's like a case full of IPA. And I I really, really appreciate being sent beer and everyone listening to this really needs to hear that. It's I'm really, really, pri- <laughs> I'm really, really privileged to get sent beer, but it's kind of like after a bit, it's like, oh no, not more IPA. You know, um, just because you can just end up with so much of it. So, like this, get, just getting yeah. a ordinary. Sorry, go on. Sorry, you have to drink it quickly. So it's like, oh my god, how am I going to drink all of these? Yeah, and I've tried to cut down my drinking as well. So you know, like um, my midweek drinking is more of a special occasion now rather than a given. Um, so yeah, you, you quickly mass up the New England IPAs. It's always the New England stuff as well. It's like oh, that's my least favorite type of IPA. No one send me <laughs> if you're listening. Send some West Coast. Anyway, um, so I'd love to talk about the four pillars of your business, which are transparency, environmentalism, the, the social aspects, and teamwork. So if we can break those down one by one, if we start with transparency, like what? Why do you feel that transparency is important for a brewing business? Yeah, that, so that was right from the get-go. I I always felt that it was it was funny when breweries were secretive about what they were doing. Um, and I'm not expecting everyone to like fully publish their recipes and and that sort of thing. But like one of the things that's really nice about breweries is that quite often people are quite willing to share their techniques or their sort of knowledge and and things with other brewers mm. but sometimes the custom it feels a little bit like the customer is the is slightly left out of the the loop a little bit and yeah i always i always felt like if someone's buying it from me if they came to the brewery and asked you know how it was made or what the recipe was or something i couldn't think for good reason not to tell them if they were gonna gonna be putting it in their body it felt like it yeah. felt reasonable to to be upfront about um, about that. So, from a like purely from a like making the beers point of view, we try and be totally transparent. Um, we publish all of our brew sheets on our website. I, I'm not sure anyone ever looks, but that's not the that's really not the point. It's it's sort of yeah. So um, on all our cans, if you look closely enough, you'll find like a little. Um, a little cryptic uh, uh, link to the brew sheet for that particular batch. Um, again, we don't really highlight it, but it's just a like if you if you really wanted to to find it, you can do. Mm. Um, and then we sort of going on from there. It was like, well, if we're going to be if we want to be transparent about that, like sort of willing to be transparent about everything. Um, we've even talked in the past, and we more a lack of time than anything else. But like we were going to almost like publish our like I don't know when we were coming up with a new label design or something we were like oh how can we find a way to like almost like publish the journey we've gone on to to do this so we we need to get around to that probably but we were thinking about like showing like the Pinterest boards that we might put together for yeah yeah that's a great something idea. or yeah um yeah we, we try and like hopefully 
any question people have, we're willing to answer. Um, and then, yeah, feeding yeah. into like the environmental stuff as well. We like try and we're trying to be upfront with what we do in that way as well with our water use or things like offsetting our carbon emissions from our deliveries, that sort of thing. And but so we 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 offset the carbon emissions from our local deliveries at least. Um, and then we just publish the the um, little certificate we get when we we buy the little carbon credity type right things. It's it's nothing nothing major, but it's yeah. Hopefully, being where we can be honest like that means people feel like they can trust us in general. Yeah. And then all the really really bad stuff we're doing, like hopefully no one has to see. You know, like. <laughs> that's true if everyone's looking that way no one's looking this way that's the yeah yeah, exactly world domination (laughs) yeah exactly dr evil style (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not like yeah i think that as well especially with this it's really funny how i guess there's such a intensity around like um knowing what's in food and knowing what people are putting in their bodies and obviously that is really important because I think it's important that everyone has is able to make those like decisions for themselves um so it is I've always found it a bit weird that uh I guess like the drinks industry isn't kind of um as regulated I don't think that you know my my main my main issue is like the um sell by dates on beers that drives me crazy because I'm like it's fine uh <laughs> nothing's gonna happen to you um but I do think in terms of like uh yeah that transparency thing um I think that it's really important uh I like as I said I do some I quite a bit of work insider and that's like a huge thing um that most people drink inside from supermarkets have no idea what's actually in them and um and because the producers aren't being made to sort of talk about that it's um it like people are always really shocked when they find out like the low levels of apple like of actual apple that are in their sort of ciders and stuff like that but um but yeah no it's uh i think it's nice to to be able to and also i think the other thing that's quite cool is that hopefully if someone else sees us doing it then maybe they'll think oh that's quite a good idea like i think that it's even if we're not like big enough I, yeah it's not like a, i don't know people should copy us but i think that but like they they should because i think that that is what i don't know consumers want a bit more transparency they want to know how things work and they want to know that you're i don't know like not evil i guess <laughs> did you did you ever i think it was in one of pete brown's books called um miracle brew and he tells a story of how um, Carling ran this ad campaign which said made with 100% British barley and they got loads of complaints from people saying oh, I, used, I prefer the taste when it was made with all them chemicals and stuff and he's making the point that no one knows you know, how they make beer um, but you know it's it, yeah it's, I mean I've not even thought about cider um, you know like your strong bows and the macro brands and actually how much apple juice is actually going into those um i was at um a place called the cider hole in sheffield recently which yeah so um, i did a podcast with mike pomeranz there and um 
he's great <laughs> what a legend um yeah. but he he was um he let me taste this cider that he'd made with apples um from across sheffield and it was like i went and picked those effing apples he swears all the time like, i picked those effing apples um every single one of them and it tasted incredible and obviously it tasted nothing like those macro ciders and everything yeah. um and I, yeah I, I guess we just presume often in craft beer because, you know, if you work in the industry, you're around it so much and you, well, you just, you know, the ins and outs of, of it. But for your regular, quote unquote, regular drinker, people that aren't beer nerds, they don't often don't know what goes into beers and what's the difference between a, a Camden Hells and a, you know, a utopian British Pilsner, for, for example. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think the... Like even little things like, so when I first started learning about beer and I sort of discovered that like a lot of mass produced, like basically the, the big example is always like lager and how like actually it's really difficult to make and it takes a really long time. And like there are all these like different processes involved and how like much kind of like when you have a lager that's been made in the way that lager supposed to be made, it's like the most incredible thing you'll drink. And like, I remember when I figured that out, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I've been missing out all this time. I mean, I love, uh, you know, a little like bottle of something like nah if I'm on holiday because it's great like I really like it when it's really hot and you're like this is amazing um I was literally just drinking Peroni yesterday um you can bleep out the brand if you need to um no it's fine <laughs> I, I think I, it might be a stash over there I've got a bottle of it so <laughs> but um like discovering that actually a lot of people like a lot of the big businesses have been using all these different like have been skipping like the processes like ingredient processes and like using different extracts and not like yeah either not real barley or just using flavoring and coloring and and like this it's something that I think has been kind of been done quite like a long time but like I think my fear now with craft beer is that there are like I'm super, I'm I am I'm into the experimentation. I know there's lots of stuff with like cryo hops and things, and like that's quite cool. And and um, I guess like yeah, different barley flavorings and stuff, which I think is I think uh, quite good in some scenarios. But it is worrying when you're like, okay, I don't know, maybe I'm drinking something and. I don't, I just not knowing and knowing that maybe you're, you've opened something and you're like, that actually tastes really synthetic. And it, I, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm drinking a New England IPA, but actually it turns out it's got all these different, like, I don't know, flavorings and stuff. There are craft breweries, unfortunately, out there that are taking shortcuts. And I think that that is not, I mean, it's just not for me. <laughs> like yeah. to drink as a, like, I really want to know. So um, yeah, what I'm drinking. Um, and I think the problem is, is that, younger drinkers now um like well people like younger generations generally are way more conscious about what they're putting in their bodies and i think that they'll probably yeah people will probably run into a bit of a blockage at some point because people won't be drinking their stuff if they don't know or if they're a bit suspicious of what's maybe in a kind of you know i don't know triple fruited sour that you're like has this seen real fruit or is it like what is this what's inside this why does it smell like shampoo um but yeah i saw <laughs> one beer on um, a facebook group yesterday <laughs> and it was like a it was a sour but it was like a strawberry something 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 cheesecake sour and someone was like oh this beer is amazing i was like is it even beer anymore at this point 
Right. Don't get me wrong. I love, I really <laughs> love fun. I love whimsy. Like when I worked at the craft beer bar I was at for years, like I used to love it when we did things like putting like soft serve on top of like imperial stands and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. And like seeing the absolute rage of like the kind of people that are like <laughs> rage, <laughs> maybe a bit older who were just like, that's not beer. And I was like, yeah, but this is so funny. Um, however, I'm like, there's almost like a line that I think people are crossing and it's becoming a bit like chaotic. Um, but yeah, I think that's where things like transparency. Sorry, I've fully gone off on a rant now. So. No, I, I love ranting. Ranting, <laughs> ranting makes good listening. <laughs> well, j- j- maybe just to bring it back on track and then you can rant about something else, Helen. So um, you, you're talking about in, uh, like the environmental aspects. So, I mean, talk about the renewable energy um, you power the brew house with. I mean, is that something like if you had equipment installed for that or do you just commit to buying it off the grid or what, what i mean what's the deal with that yeah so we're we're currently in just a fairly normal industrial unit so we we don't have the the capacity to sort of generate any of iron at the moment long term the idea is to find a barn in the middle of properly the middle of nowhere and do it up and yeah properly you know rainwater harvesting renewables that sort of thing but at the moment we just haven't got the capacity to do that so we we yeah we just buy renewable energy off the grid um it's a little bit more expensive but uh, i think it skewed us too because the, I, I would imagine there are a lot of breweries feeling hot under the collar right now listening to this thinking oh, i don't know if i'd do that because it's you know sorry however many more pence per kilowatt and you know all credit to you for for put in the environment first before profitability yeah, I, I do think we're in a quite a lucky position though how, how so in the way that like when we discussed what was going to happen at the end of the year and we're looking at um like last year um and lots of people were sort of closing and everything and we were sort of talking about our schedule for the next year and like everything that we're releasing at the moment is pretty much like stuff that we've had in barrel or in bottle conditioning for a long time. And like, it's weird. Suddenly that like reserve of like the stuff that we've been sat on is actually like kind of helpful for this, like spike in um, energy costs and stuff. So um, it has meant that James has been in the, in the brewery and it's really cold and hasn't had anything like on, but um, (laughs) He's he's still here, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, I it do was think... it was minus nine a couple of weeks ago. Oh no! I, what when we had the snow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is an element of, and that there are two. That yeah, that there's two of us, and we can kind of like make ourselves quite small. And because I'm with the brewery part time, and like I like I kind of do other stuff. So you know, like there's kind of there's a lot of flexibility within what we're doing. So I would say like, uh, I don't envy, I guess, breweries that are much bigger and are like, Mm. they've got all this stuff to like produce. And it's like, it's not an option for them to just be like, well, maybe we just won't brew our like IPA or whatever or pale ale this month. Cause it's like, well, so yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way, James, that we're a bit in that way. No, we're we're really lucky. Like we've we've done two brews so far this year, um, which is our biggest like energy cost is is doing a brew. Mm-hmm. Um and in the winter we don't have to have the cold store running really because it's well initiated, it never gets above sort of 
the temperature we'd be running it at anyway. So, yeah, we've really taken our energy usage right down the last few months, which is great, which helps hugely. Mm. Um, yeah, and as Helen said, we can just be like, okay, if we want to keep up a release cadence of a beer every couple of weeks or something like that, we can do that. But it can be leaning on the stuff we brewed in 2020 rather than the stuff we're brewing this month. And then we'll yeah. catch up maybe later in the year. If uh, yeah. So, yeah, and that's, we're very lucky. Yep. Yeah. And also, just while we're talking about the environment, your beer also helps conserve an area of natural beauty in Finland. Is that right? Oh, we've got, yeah. So we've we've got a, we, yeah. So each release we've done since the start of last year, roughly, we've, it's only a tiny thing, but there's a, a really nice charity um, called the Helsinki Foundation who buy up uh, plots of land around the world. So they've got some bits in Finland, in uh, the somewhere else in the arctic circle in tasmania um all over the place and then they just sell off little tiny plots um that you can just you know you can just put your name on or or something um and they range from you know you can spend hundreds of pounds or like two pounds to get a plot of land because all our beers are certainly until recently have been really transient one-off things Mm. we thought it'd be a really nice thing just to each one to make a little tiny permanent little mark. So each one is associated with a just a little tiny area of nature reserve um, that hopefully will never then, you know, be developed and will just, and it doesn't cost us very much, but it's a nice yeah. little, makes, so I don't know if this is coming across. Everything we do is just to make me sleep better at night. It's nothing, there's no like... <laughs> <laughs> um, in a conscience kind of way not in a Walter White lane on a bed of cash kind of way right <laughs> yeah yeah although I mean I'd sleep great on a huge bed of cash yeah. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be fine <laughs> <laughs> oh, love. oh that's, that's fantastic now I am looking at these two other beers um, one, one of them is calling to me more so than the other well they're both calling to me but uh, this um, the house I grew up oh, in oh yeah yeah go if, for it can you t- wait, I'll, I'll crack it open do you want to tell me about this one yeah, so this is this is a beer we've we've brewed a couple of times, quite quite varying in ways. It's a it's a mixed fermentation beer, a barrel aged saison, but um, with no sourness. It's just a a fairly straight saison aged in a mixed use whiskey and sherry barrels with sherry floor. So the the yeast you'd use for making sherry. Oh, right, okay. I did wonder what that was. Yeah, yeah. It just creates a beer that's super, super dry, um, but with a little nutty sort of sherry note. Um, yeah, it's just a really voracious eater of all of the residual sugar in the beer. Um, I'm not going to lie. And a saison normally that, is pretty dry. I'm not going to lie, that's incredible. That is, oh, great. Oh, I'm really that's, pleased Honestly, like that's... Um, that's ticking every single box for me because I, I love saisons. I think they're great, um, but you do get some of that sherry aroma on the nose and the, uh, that oakiness on the palate as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a real like, it's an experiment in what you can do with microbes and barrels, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, bl- I'm really blown away by it. It's, I mean, it's so, um, and it, obviously, it is dry. But it's not 
this is gonna sound really weird. I can't. This is why I'll probably never be a beer cicerone. Like there's there's a real there's a real wet quality to it. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> um, but it's it it's it it it's dry, but there's a really nice roundedness to it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like dry in the sense of a a white wine rather than a I don't know, like paint thinner or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's fantastic. Really, really, um, really nice beer. So, when you had this in the barrel, how long was it there for? Um, so I think that one was um, about eighteen months, a year to eighteen months. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I've brewed it. I've done it a couple of times now, but the the iteration rate is pretty pretty slow on that one if that makes sense yeah yeah. so uh um about to about to gonna put it again this year so we'll have another release of it in 2025 yeah um so working so the abv drops quite a bit between round number one and round number two yep um which i quite like i quite like the fact that we're we're calling it the same thing. Um, it's the same beer. It just happens to have quite a different recipe and quite a different ABV. Um, but the the central core of it is the same. That uh, yeah, trying to use that sherry floor, that 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 sherry yeast essentially to to do all the heavy lifting of creating the flavour. Mm. Um, so when you when you're barrel aging, how do you know it's ready? so to speak uh, yeah it's <laughs> yeah 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 uh, yeah we yeah that's i mean that is the right answer we we really don't right um, the the trick is to definitely put it in the barrel leave it for a while because generally the first couple of months you're getting all sorts of stuff going on you're getting some flavors appearing which are not representative of the final beer and not representative of something human beings like um, um quite often certainly with the really wild stuff um you get some really weird flavors mm. during the first couple of months so the trick is not to panic and just to just to, to to wait a bit and then just keep sampling every month or two try and make some notes um the notes i tend to make are supremely vague so when i come back it two months later it's like beery dry <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, well done, James. That's really helpful. Um, um, the, I did just call your beer uh, wet, so... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and to be fair, like, that is really what we go for. Like, like we, we promise all the beers will be 100% liquid. No, no other. Yep. It's um, yeah. all we promise. But, uh, um, but yeah, like, it's, it's, it's making little notes and then trying to guess what it's going to be like so when you're having it out of the barrel it's obviously totally still mm. um it's ambient temperature so you're having to really guess what the carbonation is going to do to it yep um and you're trying to catch it at the right point so that yeah because over time they do oxidize a little bit of oxidation is good certainly on the sherry beer it's sort of part of the character because yeah sherry can be a little bit oxidized in in flavor in a in a pleasant way um but yeah you're, you're 
aiming to catch it before you you make vinegar, which <laughs> most things will turn into eventually. But uh, yeah, yeah. Or or it's a case of like, you know, you might have brewed this beer. It's been in barrel for a year. You have a taste and you think, okay, that's fine. But it could do with maybe we'll see what fruits available in the next couple of months and we'll fruit that one or. Maybe there's two barrels that on their own are, are not super exciting, but something in the middle might be just the right balance. Or I've got a question then, just on based on the fruit thing. So I know you've got an orchard, um, mm. so I, I guess you've got an abundance of fruit there. When you are fruiting a beer that you're aging in barrel, you know that's like a a, a breaded beer or whatever. Do you worry? I know because you talked bit about oxidation then with um like with the sherry stuff which you know like yeah it's to be expected but with maybe with some of the other ones do you, do you worry about oxidation adding the fruit or is, is again is it all just part of that flavor profile normally with adding the fruit actually as long as you've got a good healthy Brettanomyces culture in your barrel actually the more fruit you're adding essentially the more sugar you're adding right the brett's gonna eat all of that up and get rid of any oxygen pretty sharpish so the only thing we really worry about is uh lots of unfermented sugar still being in the barrel yeah yeah um so that when we bottle beer we're not bottling a beer that hasn't finished fermenting yet yeah because because that could be trouble so we try and make sure that all the beer has at least one summer right if that makes sense yeah yeah Um, yeah that makes sense Part of the reason I asked that was I um I ain't got the actual bottle, but I've got the label. Um, I brewed a beer which was a it was meant to be a heritage ESB, um, the Christmas before last for an event I was doing, which I, I used Chevalier malt. Unfortunately, didn't treat the Chevalier malt like I should have treated it, and ended up with a beer that had a finishing gravity of ten thirty three, I think it was, which evidently is very very high. Um, yeah, so yeah. I was like, well, can I have a dump it? Which I mean, you can see my setup in the background. It's literally like what, what? Well, I've got one US brewer's barrel um, conical there that you can't see, and then those two ones are hundred liters. And I was like, it looks it was, great. It was in uh, thanks. It's uh, it's it was in that back one, and I was like, I can either dump this or add some Brett and PD Cockers to it. So you can imagine where it went. Um, left it for over a year and it's I, I, effectively it's an, an oud brune called that would be an ecumenical matter but I was there There are there's some cherry trees in Walkley where I live and um, last summer I was like maybe I should get some cherries and put them in there and see what happens but then I was worried about taking the lid off and it oxidising or something and then having to dump it anyway so I didn't in the end so I mean it's, it's a fairly decent beer I think it's um it's got that Flanders type quality, but a bit softer. But I just wonder whether the cherries might have just lifted that, just to get it from being a like a, a seven or eight out of ten to a, a, a eleven out of ten or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to I was trying to add it on tap terms, but you don't go up to ten, do you? That sounds really nice, though. I bet that was great. I bet it was. I'll, really um, good. I'll 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 send you some. I've um I know you. I'll <laughs> I'll send you some. Um, I've got uh, some of them left, so I'll I'll get those over to you. And um, I've did, I did a um, I'll get this to over to you as well. I did a um, an all British hopped IPA with Charles Farham. Um, oh, nice! So um, that's that's I like that. So I'll, I'll send you that as well. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. So um, 
it literally just be like a can and a bottle each because <laughs> as you can see on this on this scale it's <laughs> every every yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> every milliliter counts so just me- moving away from beer just for a few moments and i do want to come back to barrel aging and stuff because i've got no end of questions on all that um can you talk about the social aspects of these four pillars like the you know the charities and social enterprises that you support and how you decide which ones to support through your business yeah so i mean because we're really tiny like we we would like to you know support things a lot more than we do i mean we we have a limited budget for like supporting things but where we can help out we we really like to so we um we took part last year in the brave noise campaign which yep. um was something really yeah really resonated with both of us didn't it it was um yeah the we've both worked in in pubs and breweries for a long time and yeah the the treatment of staff and the treatment of people that aren't sort of white guys in their 30s is not always brilliant Mm. um and yes it was a really nice thing we could get involved in and when we we decided it helen was really key in sort of pushing us to to do it because i well we talked about this I, i found it i was a bit embarrassed to get involved um certainly before helen came on board i did i was really worried about looking like I was jumping on a I that I would be taking advantage of a serious campaign to in some way sort of be self-promotional which isn't like virtue signaling or something yeah. I, I guess so yeah um but also yeah my thought is that that if if people who look like me if, if you, on the podcast you can't see me but I'm very <laughs> much a, a white guy in my 30s and and sort of the whitest person I know um that uh I, um, thank you. yeah you don't have to um nod that's a that's a Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, um, but like yeah I I've I've seen some really bad treatment of of people in my career and like Brave Noise was almost struggling to get breweries to take part um this would have been about a year ago wouldn't it when we were yeah, and in the year that's passed since, a lot more breweries in the UK have taken part, and that's great. Um, but it's a yeah, a really good campaign. And so we've we've raised some money for the Drinks Trust, which reminds me, I need to pay some more money to the Drinks Trust. <laughs> but they've got they've got a really good campaign and support for uh, staff in the industry. Yeah, it's an amazing charity. Yeah, I, I think the Drinks Trust are really fantastic. And um, like I know I've been able to, um, I guess, utilise their resources and stuff. And I think that they're kind of, especially for, um, like I really like that they are, I guess, a hospitality group, but they're so, um, like you don't just have to be a bartender and stuff like that. There's lots of different kind of, yeah. Uh, roles that they support and lots of different ways that they kind of help people and like yeah I think I don't know yeah uh, I'm really pleased that that was kind of who we got to um, back really and uh, yeah I think um, there's a couple of bits that I'd like to do this year for specifically for um, 
some Welsh uh, trans charities. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, um, I don't know. It's hard to say how you like choose. I suppose it's more like a, I suppose it's always a little bit personal, isn't it? When you pick stuff like this, like usually people choose charities because of, yeah, I guess stuff that's uh, close to them or like, mm. um, yeah, stuff that's important. I think one of the big things in my mind for working with like groups and charities and things is that you're working with, like I want to do way more uh, stuff like locally or like in within like, an area or like that's smaller I find that there's if you're sort of working with charities on a smaller scale or with I guess like support groups and things that is actually a lot of the time of more use and of more help to people than um maybe the bigger charities and mm. that can yeah sort of I'm saying that from like personal experience of like um being a queer person that lives in um like where I live we have um some really amazing little groups of um uh people and like just working really hard to like help support others in the community and stuff i don't know i think that there's you can do a lot of really positive stuff so i'd quite like to do some more stuff specifically in wales um yeah definitely with um the trans community and then um hopefully in as well, I mean, it, it's clearly going to be really important that we're uh, working with uh, communities of like refugees and things. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, sort of looking at, yeah, maybe what what's happening in the world and sort of being aware of everything and um, just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I love how beer these days is a force for good. But you know, in 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 lots of ways, um, you know, it's, it's so I'm going to sneeze. I feel like I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> no, it passed. It passed. Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, oh man, I felt like it was going to come back <laughs> with a vengeance, but no, it has passed again. Um, I love how beer these days is a force for good, and how it does raise awareness. I don't know if you've come across McColl's Brewery in. Um, mm. oh, I don't want to say Sunderland in case Danny's listening because I got reprimanded by him when I either said Sunderland or Durham. Northeast, basically, the Northeast. And um, they have a, a beer called Let's Eat Pies and Talk About Men's Mental Health because obviously it's mm. something that men in particular don't talk about. And um, I love that. You know, I, I love when small businesses work alongside charities because a lot of small charities are they are like small businesses but even worse off because you know they're always struggling to get donations and all the rest of it um so yeah it's um a really good thing and i think the drinks trust in particular is just an amazing charity absolutely incredible what they do yeah definitely and i think it's really great to because beer goes to so many different people like i think just having the can with like something, I don't know, just that little bit of awareness really helps because like I hadn't heard of like things like the drinks trust until the pandemic. Mm. Um, and, you know, we all sort of, I remember having a meeting with someone from there and they were just like, yeah, we've been going for like hundreds of years. And I was like, that's crazy. How have I, like, how did I not know that? And yeah, I guess the good thing about beer in particular is that, yeah, it goes into different people's um, 
it's like thinking about who's going to be picking up that can and like whether it's to buy it or to put it on a shelf because they're stuck in the shelves at work. And I think that that's a really good thing that maybe they might see. Um, yeah. And just, I think it's always quite nice to, th- I always try and think about like, like everyone has some kind of like privilege and what is it that you can do to help um, someone else. And like, like I said, especially when I'm watching um, like groups of people who don't really have anything doing everything they can to support people that don't have it. Like, I'm like, yeah, we have to be, you can't kind of just sit around and not. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, we were talking about earlier uh, about sleeping easier. <laughs> I think that yeah. good to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's important. I mean, I've come from, uh, like I um, have kind of come to wilderness working um, on um, Bird Collective, which is like a drinks um, platform and magazine for people um, in the drinks industry who don't maybe always get like voices heard and stuff. And I think it's been quite nice to, I don't know, I guess, like have someone like James who's super receptive to I guess these kinds of conversations and um I don't know wants to wants to kind of get involved as well it's nice it's cool yeah absolutely um and I want to talk about the last pillar um which is teamwork and you evidently make a really good team um together for wilderness so um the the thing I really I looked at your website earlier doing my research like a proper journalist and uh, <laughs> and um I, I love the lengths you've gone to to publish your code of conduct online like I'm interested how did you go about writing that yeah that well that was a really good thing that the um taking part in the brave noise campaign pushed us to do um that's one of the requirements for taking part is to have a formal code of contact and yeah, we we didn't have anything laid out, and I thought that's a great idea. That's um, and especially given it is, you know, for the most part just the two of us, um, it actually is quite good to lay that out formally, like almost like our contract with each other and with our customers. Like we expect certain standards of ourselves. We expect certain standards of our customers and we're quite willing to not have customers who are not up to those standards, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, um, but yeah, things like, like it's it's not really an issue because I'm absolutely terrified of Helen, but if um, <laughs> we have, uh, <laughs> you know, if there was any sort of like, um, you know, disagreement, it's good to like have a set of standards that I'm supposed to be holding myself to. Mm. Um, and yeah, um, I think we really do feel like we have to hold our, our customers to the, to the same. Um, we, we wouldn't really hesitate to drop a customer or something if we didn't approve of the way they, went about things and we've certainly yeah. turned down opportunities in the past with companies that we just don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the great thing is we're small enough that we can do that. Like it's not a, we don't have, you know, hundreds of people's wages that we're trying to make sure we find each month. We can afford to be much pickier. And for both of us, like hopefully it is about, this being enjoyable and relatively low stress 
um like um we talk about it a fair bit but like my mental health definitely benefits from a nice low stress um uh job like a, a low the certainly the mixed firm lifestyle allows you a bit of a slower slower pace of life than than oh crap we're run out of ipa let's brew some yeah. more because because we have the oh crap we've run out of saison <laughs> we'll have some more next year yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely it's really nice i think that a lot of smaller like i can understand like i don't know people i guess thinking oh it's just like we don't need to do that stuff because like we're super small but I've seen it happen to so many companies. They go from being really small and they don't have a lot of processes in place and everything because they are often people who have gotten into, like, especially with craft beer, like they've gotten into it and they just like love it. And then next, it's like they blink because craft beer moves so quickly. Mm. Suddenly overnight, they're like the most popular brewery in the UK and they've suddenly got loads of staff and they've not got any procedures and any, I guess, like code of conduct. And it's super not um, like regulated in the way that some other industries are. And there's a kind of, and especially in terms of like the work like breweries and like more sort of like the, that warehouse sort of vibe like we don't have um although that are now brewery unions and stuff but like that is just like still a super alien concept especially when you've got a lot of people that have maybe come from hospitality where again that is a conversation that is sort of like a really uh long like uphill battle but i think that if you have all of this place now when you've got even if you're literally sat <laughs> in a room when you're having this conversation with yourself I think that it's really good to know exactly how you what your processes are and like I don't know yeah and then we can it's less um I don't know stressful and yeah and and like if we if we were going to take anyone else on I think one of the first things we'd say is like make sure you join a a union like here's some ones we might suggest but like it's important for people to yeah yeah we're going to make mistakes like so it's important to make sure people are protected and yeah i mean i think helen and i both worked at places that we've essentially been happy to walk away from because they were horrible places to work and um and we've we've met people like who work at breweries and you're like oh hey again what's it like working there and they're like Oh, it's terrible. And like, I don't if I if I found out that I had employees and that that was how they felt. Mm. I mean, that's not the aim of the game for us. Well, you'd be you'd be devastated. Well, I say you'd be devastated, as in like one would be devastated. Uh, Evidently, some of the breweries in question you've just referred to aren't because maybe they don't have enough self-awareness or whatever but um we'd be devastated like i i um having had that kind of experience myself i know that um when you when you find your groove somewhere either as an employee or i work for myself now so I love it. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, the, oh, the boss is a real asshole. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's when, when you finally get into that groove and you realise that not every workplace is shitty and that actually not every employer is a dickhead 
actually there are some really good people out there. You're like, it's, it's, it's such a revelation. And then you realize like how bad it was before. It's only in those moments like, oh my goodness, like was it, how, like, why did I let myself go through that? Why did I let people push me around or say those things or treat me that way? And, um, and it's funny how we often talk about craft beer quote unquote as being like this utopia and it's all amazing and all the rest of it. And actually it's, it, it, it can be just as toxic as other places. Yeah, definitely. And I think that a big part of that is actually the idea that like my, I, I know someone who, um, uh, someone in the U S who wrote this really amazing piece for Birm about like the way that like skateboarding, something that's like the alternative within that there is like actually because people think it's the alternative it means that people have thought of it as like a like quite a cool and forward thinking space but actually all it is is just like another version of so like it's like there's some really interesting parallels between like the skateboarding sort of world and like craft beer and that mm. I think you're like well it's the alternative so it's actually really nice and really cool but but the same people are essentially like driving the bus so it's just got some fun branding like yeah. <laughs> you're like oh this is the same like and I think that um but yeah but there are I think there's so much like yeah awareness now and hopefully um yeah hopefully things can start to start to get better but yeah it'll take a long time and there's like a lot of sad things that'll happen because you get a lot of uh some people come away from those situations and they've carried their trauma and then they it becomes that's how they that's like normalized so it kind of like gets passed down and it's like trying to like I'm just about to become so I work for James but I also work for um a, a restaurant and I've just been promoted to like bar manager and I have this like really weird like um what do you call it like a intrusive thought about um like like what if I become like I don't know it's like a really weird like well now I'll be in a position that um I've kind of been uh almost like afraid of for such a long time and like have been quite like um, I've not always had good relationships with as like an employee. So the idea that I'll now be in that position, it's like a really weird thing. Cause I'm like, I'm, I am a bit like scared that, um, but I think some people don't have that fear. I think some people are just like, well, I know how I was treated and it kind of just keeps getting passed down and down and down. And I want to make sure that like, I'm the, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Like, it's hard. And like managing people, is hard but that's no excuse for treating people badly yeah. right like it's just yeah. No. yeah yeah don't be a dick is what i often say on this podcast <laughs> that's the motto. Yeah, yeah, yeah well i i know i've had two already but you know it's, it's a wednesday and it's my get yeah, out of jail free card so you. there you go if you kind of squint <laughs> until you head a little bit so i'm going to open the blended saison so while i do that um, why don't you guys tell me a little bit about this one? Well, so, so this is um, this was our big project for last year. Really, was to how do we phrase this? A core range wasn't quite right for us, but new beers all the time was it was tending towards. We were making some of the same things semi regularly. So Helen really kindly and I think cleverly came up with this this sort of plan for us of, of having three beers which we sort of have which are 
beers that we try and have available most of the time, mm. but their recipe will vary through the year. Yep. Um, so at the moment we've got a, a the bitter that you've had, the saison that you're having now, and then uh, we didn't manage to keep this available very long, but we did a breaded pale ale. Um, and that's our sort of, yeah, we're, we're being really, really strong about not calling it a core range, but I really struggle with any other words. The non-core core range. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Helen is much more eloquent than I am about it. What do you call it, Helen? I'm just thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. Someone had said, uh, right? And I was like, yeah, it's our... Uh, and then I couldn't remember. I can't remember what I called it. But yeah, it's not. It's like, I don't know, I guess like a seasonal range. Um but yeah, they're just like the beers that we always go. We kind of, it, I looked back at everything that James had brewed and I kind of like pieced together like these like common sort of themes and like beers that had like been quite popular and kind of like why that is. And um, yeah, I, uh, we um, kind of, I really, really like, I think this is something that I kind of got from when I was working at uh, Harvest is that I'm big um, and also now at like, I guess the restaurant I work at is so focused on like the menu changes kind of like almost like sort of monthly, sometimes kind of every two weekly, depending on what's coming in and out in and like what's in season. And I think that that is something that's really important and like something that we can also do that helps with um, the, I guess, like environmental side of things. Mm -hmm. And it's quite nice for, um, and I guess to represent that, like I quite like, I've, I've enjoyed being, uh, I guess, working with Sophie Potter, who's the designer on these ones, because um, I, I really wanted that to be represented in the in the cans. So we've, um, in fact, we're waiting at the moment, aren't we, for the uh, rise um, labels to be sent through, which is, it's going to be the same like labels, but they're like the color palette's going to be different. So mm. it's like, to kind of showcase, and the recipes are like a little bit different, but we're sort of altering them for. I guess the yeah the season and what's kind of maybe what you want the flavors that you'd quite like to get in sort of yep. certain halves of the yeah year. so we called it like the the rise and fall series so it is it is seasonal but sort of industry sort of head on like we didn't want to write sort of summer and winter because obviously like they have a best before date of certainly the saison of a couple of years sort of thing. So we didn't want to be like, oh, you can only drink this in the summer or you can only sell this in the summer yep. or the winter or whatever. So the rise and fall was our way of sort of nodding at seasonality without trying to be too prescriptive. But from our point of view, the beers we release in the wintertime are a little bit more wintry and malty. And then the ones we're going to be coming out within the next month or two, a little lighter, a little fresher, versions of the same sort of thing but it means we're not the great thing is from my point of view we're not tied to any particular recipe we're just aiming for a a vibe yeah <laughs> sounds awful no 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 not at all it's a bit like have you come across st mars the desert in sheffield yeah, 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 yeah it's a little yeah. bit like that how they have clamp which is their cool ship new england ipa and it kind of varies all the time but 
they have the same label and then just mix up the hops and this that, and the other. But it's you know it's it's, it's yeah, all yeah, yeah. these I think days. That's great. Just to say, I, I know I mentioned it at the start of the show. I don't think we've talked about Sophie's artwork that much, but it's absolutely gorgeous artwork i'm a designer myself so like i'm looking at it having total, oh, cool. yeah, yeah. total design envy right now um it's yeah you know the other thing with the saison like i mean the the, the flavor is great I, I, this is actually drier than the dry saison i feel um but i'm trying to work out whether i'm picking up that orange flavor because of sophie's artwork or because there's an orange flavour there. It's like this, I don't know if it's a psychology thing going on, but this, I'm definitely getting a nice sort of tangerine orange hit on this one. Well, I, I'm so easily influenced. Um, it, yeah, we've talked about this before, but I'll be, you know, if some people come to the brewery and I'm sort of showing them around and give them a taste of something, and someone will say, oh yeah, gooseberries or something, and then immediately I'm like, oh yeah, 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 really strong new gooseberries. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the world. Oh yeah, I'm the worst. At it. But yeah, like as part of doing like this, this sort of new range, we we thought we'd have a bit of a like a, a tweak. We'd always tried to be on the more like the artwork had been florally before that, but um, mm. more photography based, uh, including some that Helen done, which were really nice. But um, we decided to yeah engage like uh, so. Sophie is the artist is from Cardiff. Um, and we just sort of did a bit of a like torrent of words at her. And then Helen came up with some like examples and some color palettes. But we were like, we're going for you know, floral in general is sort of somewhere where we like to be. But what we want is we like her style. And mm. if, if you want to see what her style is, these labels are a really good example, I, I think. But it, it's meant to hopefully be totally non-aggressive. Um, there's enough, like, lasers and lions and stuff cool. on. Schools, aliens. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not that those are bad. Like, that's all good. But, like... Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. It reminds me of... Um, there's a friend of mine I've known for a long time who's a artist and illustrator in Sheffield called Rich Wells lives around the corner from me and um he's got a very unique style and this is the closest i've seen to his style of illustration ever i mean that even even to the point of the typography looks quite similar to the way he writes things really yeah it's weird he did um i'm a musician as well and i did an album back in 2010 and he did the artwork for it and it it looks quite similar to that and um it's, yeah, you know, it's uh, like you said, there's so much, again, coming at it from a branding and designer's point of view, there are so many beer artworks that look really similar. A lot of them are quite abstract. Um, but to see something like you've got on your cans, and I'm, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass because I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> which becomes a bit of a phrase I've, I've picked up on the Hopful podcast recently when I talk to anyone and I'm trying to offer encouragement. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's really quite unique and the the colours just 
they they really oh man, I can't believe I'm using this word either. They really pop. <laughs> as a designer as well, like that's something clients always say, oh, can you make it pop? Just like, yeah, I'll go up to the button that says make it pop and I'll press yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 curious just while we're talking about um barrels and things and whilst I've got you um captive on Google Meet, um when it comes to blending, like what's your approach to blending? Like how do you determine the right ratio of beers that you put in one barrel to another? And like, how do you go about blending them together and then being like, yeah, that's the blend we're going to use? Yeah, it's really tricky. I don't think we've got a great system yet. <laughs> no, no, like the, so the thing I'm, I really like doing and yeah, I guess what I've said before, like, like we're, trying to keep things accessible quite often so this blended example being a uh, blended saison being a good example is like taking an aged beer and then blending it with a portion of fresh beer to mm. freshen it and lighten it so you get the depth of flavor from the barrel aged beer but you get a little bit of freshness back and a little bit of drinkability that drinkability doesn't really mean anything does it but you know what i mean like a um so that and that's really tricky because you're you haven't really got the fresh beer ready until the point that you're looking to blend it and then package it. Yeah. When you've got a series of barrels that you want to blend together, you can at least like take a few samples and be like, Oh yeah, maybe one to one or, you know, one to a bit and then we'll use the rest for something else or that you can really just, you can just take samples and mix the ratio up and, and see. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah, not- trial and error, really. It's the, yeah. I think I really like the way that it is like, um, I don't know, like I really like stats, like tasting them and sort of seeing where they're at. And then like, I guess doing so much through like flavor and kind of just, yeah, just tasting them and seeing, I think that's quite a fun thing. And often we'll be like, okay, well, we know that maybe we're going to get this hop in and that'd be quite nice because we can sort of uh combine like there's an element of that like I really like flavor matching so um mm. for the saison it was really cool because we knew we had some hops that like it was already like given these kind of like light citrusy notes and I was like wow we can kind of almost up that with like various like the, with the hop qualities and stuff and um, I mean, I know we've done it before with different, like, uh, if we've got fresh beer as well, different, like, yeast qualities and stuff. It's quite nice to, I guess, like, develop flavour, uh, not in the traditional way, maybe, that people are developing flavour in beer and looking at those, yeah, other, looking at what you can pull out with with other ingredients. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it's quite nice. It's a really yeah. kind of, like, fun I. I think it's a really fun experience. And being like, I don't know, and then no. using like, I guess, own personal knowledge of being like, oh, well, I know that, I don't know, this fruit grows at this time of year, so we could like add that and see what happens. And then, or like, oh, it, this reminds me of, yeah, I don't know, a uh, herb or something. Like, yeah, I don't know. Mm. It's, a bit, it's a bit kind of, yeah. I was going to say wishy-washy, but like, we just kind of like faff about, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and we we try not to have too much of a plan i guess like like try and be led with how the beer has developed in the barrel and really really like not 
be like, right, okay, we're going to brew this, we're going to age it for two years, and then it will become this. Mm. Because that isn't, A, that isn't really how it works, but B, that's sort of misses the point a little bit of, like, misses the fun for us, and that's that's half the reason we're doing it. I say half the reason, it's all yeah. the reason we're doing it, <laughs> so, isn't it? Um, um, be, be, before we end with a quite a general question, I'd love you to take me through your packaging process. So I've, I've never actually barrel aged something, so I'm just quite curious to find out. How do you package a beer that's been in barrel? People do it in a number of ways. Our way is fairly basic, but we we have about 30 or so barrels in the in our sort of warehousey space. And we've just got a, a winemaker's uh, device, really. So it's a, it's a long tube which goes into the bottom of the barrel has a bung at the top so we can seal it tight and then we can introduce uh co2 is that a bulldog because this is what people call it exactly yeah 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 so you're lightly pressurizing the the barrel and then you're taking beer out uh that way and we put it into one of our sort of we call them unitanks but one of our steel fermenters really right um and at that stage we can either dry hop it or blend it with something else or if it's good as it is, we'll just add a little bit of uh, champagne yeast and a bit of a uh, bit more sugar, mix it up, package it either into can or bottle, and then our new sort of thing for this year is a nice warm room that uh, it then goes in for a couple of months before it's ready to go out. Nice. I was at um, Mount Saint Bernard Abbey, uh, Tint Meadow, in Loughborough. Oh, cool. Um, last year. And um, they took me into their warm room, and man, it was warm. <laughs> it's lovely. I would imagine during that heat wave, it was awful. But um, at the time that I went, that wasn't particularly warm. It was like being in some kind of sauna or something. <laughs> um, so, I mean, f- <laughs> finally, I'd I'd love your take on where the brewing industry is heading at the moment, and what steps you guys are taking up to firm up the future for wilderness. Oh, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got, <laughs> no, we, it's really nice. So the, since Helen's come on board in the last year, we've, we've gone from, I think this is one of our early conversations was like, do you have a plan or do you just rock up on a Monday morning and do whatever you fancy? I just wanted to check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was like, what's the process? How does this work? <laughs> no, so we've really, we've, we've got sort of a, a nice like year planned of sort of steady releases from barrels. Um, a lot more collaboration brewing, which is really nice. I'd been, and it's all on me, like, I'd been really shy about doing that with people. I'd always been like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to ask anyone. Anyway, finally, lots of friends that we knew sort of said like, hey, we've been subtly hinting for a couple of years now that we'd like to make a beer <laughs> with you. And that hasn't seemed to be uh, getting through. So, yeah, we've got a lot more beers with friends brewing this year um which is really nice and then trying to do a few more like um awareness raising like profile raising things um we're not looking to expand in any sort of sense of like making much more beer or like having more staff or anything like that we're like i mean from my point of view like i want to i want to keep doing the production side and the more of the rest of it I can offload on Helen, the better. <laughs> <It is. laughs> um, 
but uh yeah uh, that's us really like trying to trying to stay small trying to stay interesting for us and hopefully interesting for people that that like it um i have no real idea of because of where we are i feel so in some ways quite distant from the rest of the industry Mm. um and the time scale we operate on like we're not like we're just not affected by like the like this six months trend or something for lactose and something or thing like it's just even if we even if we wanted to be it just it doesn't work for us we i i i would be so like i find that like genuinely exhausting the idea of having to um i understand that that is essentially what like my job is supposed to be but like (laughs) oh i don't know seeing what's i guess coming and being like oh but i guess it's different for us because there are some beers that well we can't brew in the brewery so like you could be like oh i don't know like the uh dark lagers and stuff or like not the dark lagers necessarily but like there's been a few like ales that have been really popular recently and it's like there's some stuff that we just kind of can't really do or Mm. don't really want to do and like I think it's quite nice that we kind of are just moving with what we want to do and then hoping that we can convince people that 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 it's good so like yeah yeah it's nice I think um we've got uh I think sort of taking it like in chunks at a time is really important because, um, well, I mean, as everyone knows, anything could change at any time. So, yeah, it's probably uh, it's good not to overplan sometimes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we try and deal with the like, We have some sort of somewhat artificial, but constraints. Like we, we're trying to do a few more sort of uh, fruited beers of the, the barrel aged variety this year but sort of my my rule is that the the fruit for the most part either has to be picked by us or like sourced as locally as possible and all of that means that yeah like it, it sort of limits the amount of fruit we actually do use mm. um, so a lot of our fruit beers are way more subtle than was like last year's trend i would say like um where it was all about grams per liter of blah 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 blah. and it's like (laughs) oh we're more like grams that james can pick (laughs) well i was having having this conversation with um sam at grizzly grains that mentioned earlier which is on a podcast episode which by the time this one comes out you can listen to and um he was talking about using some French cooking pears in a saison, and then he'd done another couple of other saisons with local fruits. And I was, I asked him how, you know, how how he feels when people go on and taps and they'll check that beer in and be like, oh, meh, it doesn't taste like pears, meh, you know, because they're so used to the super hype brewery making like i alluded to earlier some strawberry cheesecake sour that's you know fruited up to its eyeballs with puree in essence and all the rest of it and um in my experience as a brewer you never if you're using that pure fruit unless like you go absolutely berserk like 
you never get that level of fruitiness just by using some pears or whatever, you know, in, in moderate or even reasonably large amounts. You know, you have to go nuts to absolutely max it out with that stuff unless, like I say, you're using purees or fruits. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's about drinkability, I find. You know, with the three beers I've drunk tonight of yours, they're all very, very, very drinkable, which is a quality that I think a lot of craft brewers that are making those more fruity types of beers could learn from. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I know I've got a, a load of 440 mils that are like, I guess, pretty like really heavily fruited, quite high ABV. And I'm just like, I keep looking at them and I'm like, I just don't know when I want to drink you. Uh, and like, there's, that, <laughs> there's always that that joke about the, like the triple, like, I don't know, like the really intense stout that you've got in the back of your freezer that's like slowly growing like frost around it because it's just like every time you open the fridge, you're like, yeah, not you. <laughs> like, I feel a bit, like, yeah, I don't know. It's, I always feel bad for those beers, but I'm like, yeah, I just can't. And like before the pandemic, I was I was working in a craft beer bar and I was like, yes, like give me these things on. And I love the fact that we always had them on tap and like there was always this really big, uh, festival that would happen uh, every year and like it at that point I remember everyone was doing really high ABV stouts and like yeah the really really intense uh sours and stuff and I we all kind of were like this is great but then yeah when it comes down to I think now everything has become a bit more stripped back and um if I actually when we were at we were at a festival last year and James someone had said to James how many grams per liter uh, is in the uh, boise the raspberry uh, ale, wild ale that we'd done, and you just laughed. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a crazy, yeah. I, and I think that was quite, um, yeah, that was quite funny. It's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I can, I can tell you exactly where I picked them, but like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, nerd alert. Um, well, I mean, it's been absolutely fabulous having you on the show. Um, I've proper enjoyed our conversation and your beers. So, and I'm wholeheartedly recommending them to anyone listening to this if they've not heard of Wilderness. So, to anyone listening who's like, oh, yeah, I fancy that ordinary bitter or the blended saisons or whatever, how can they get hold of them? Uh, you can go to our website, which is wildernessbrew.co.uk which um, you can sort of buy all our stuff on or a good bottle shop near you. Yeah. Uh, depending on where you live. Cool. That's true. <laughs> or a bad bottle shop near you. Like we, we're, ha- we're happy to sell to anyone. <laughs> nice. And uh, socials? Oh, you've got to get this the right way around because one of them is wrong, isn't it? One of them is weird. Right. So there's Wild- at Wilderness Brew <laughs> or at Wilderness Beer. It could be either. Type it into Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Links in, dribble, (laughs) Pinterest. (laughs) You'll find out. You'll find them. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for being on the show. We're not on Snapchat. Ah, well, there you go. (laughs) We're not on TikTok either. No, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, seriously, I've absolutely genuinely enjoyed chatting to you both. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>